Good evening. It is good to be together tonight. If you're a guest, thank you for being here. If you will, we open your Bibles to John the 10th chapter. We won't have slides tonight. Uh, I don't have that much battery life on my computer when I'm traveling home to get two sermons on slides by the time uh, flying back from El Salvador. I've learned that through the years. Uh, but uh, if you open your Bibles, we'll be studying John the 10th chapter. On your Bibles there in your pew, it's 950, and most of the references that we'll look at will be out of John, so I encourage you to open up and we'll study God's Word together. We've had a wonderful trip, as we talked about this morning, but I want to remind you of another wonderful opportunity we have to encourage mission work. Many of you remember in 2007 that we went on a stateside mission trip to Grant County, Kentucky. There was not a Church of Christ in Grant County, Kentucky until a few months before we went there in 2007. And we knocked every door in that county and we told people that there was now a Church of Christ in your county. That little church that started with just a few individuals now five years later is running about 60 every Sunday morning. And they think a world of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. Now, there are a lot of other congregations that's been more directly involved in their work and existence than us, by far. But I'm just letting you know, they really appreciate the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. This coming Sunday, they're going to celebrate their five-year anniversary, and they wanted to invite us to be there. Mike Kibbe is going to take whoever wants to go. You'll leave on Saturday. I think it's about 2 o'clock, and, and you'll ride in the vans together and stay in a hotel that is just right down the road from the church building. You'll worship together, enjoy a potluck meal together, and then they'll have a 2 o'clock service that they're considering a part of their celebration because many uh, will come in from other parts of Kentucky and other congregations that have helped and supported them through this five years also. And uh, then you'll be back here probably by about 7 o'clock. There is sign-up at the information center. And so, of course, to be able to sign up today or or to let him know by tomorrow or pretty soon, uh, because that is this next Sunday. But we really hope uh, that, that some and several from this congregation can go uh, to just be a voice on behalf of Mount Juliet that we are so thankful uh, for all they've done uh, for the kingdom's sake in five years. It's really remarkable uh, what they've done over the past five years. Uh, many of you have also uh, heard of Phil Wagner's accident that he had uh, yesterday uh, in a rental car. Unfortunately, no one is injured. Uh, he is still there in El Salvador. Uh, but uh, because of the details of the accident, he's probably going to have to go before some kind of judge this coming week. And what's going to be kind of the, the hairy part of it is that the other one involved in the accident was an El Salvadorian police officer that was off-duty and drunk. And so uh, it was very evident that the other officers were defending him. And so there really is a lot of concern about that. And so if you will, uh, be prayerful about that this week, that, that God's uh, will most of all, and also justice will prevail in that. And um, but we are thankful that no one was injured in that. We're thankful that the teddy bear workshop was a success this afternoon. I heard that there was kind of low attendance but high production, and so uh, that's good that there's high production. And they always do a great work and enjoy their time together. Also, disaster relief this past week uh, from this congregation again. Uh, about 10 to 15 went over, and, and another 400 boxes were loaded, and, um, and just a great work. You know, we hear of, of the disasters, and then after a few days, uh, we forget about them unless they're in our neighborhood, but yet I think most of us will remember from either earthquake or from uh, tornadoes or floods that uh, they are not measured in hours and days. 
Uh, but dealing with a disaster like that is measured in months and years. And so let's remember to uh, continue to pray for the individuals uh, that have experienced the tornadoes in, in the last uh, few months. And uh, any time we have the opportunity to help make a difference in their life and give God the glory, let's do that. Also, just a final mention of another important way to encourage a missionary. Uh, Nick Fowler's birthday is Wednesday. And I know many, many in this congregation have him on your email uh, I'd encourage you to uh, send him a greeting this week. That would be a wonderful way to let them know that, that although miles separate us, they're definitely not uh, far from us in our heart. God gives us a lot of opportunities. And let's just make sure that we do good and that we grow not weary in well-doing, as Paul encouraged those people of Galatia. Have you ever had somebody say, just tell me plainly? I just want it in black and white. It's interesting to think about the passage that we're about to read. Literally, the Jews came up to Jesus, and and that's what they said. In other words, remove our doubt. If you, if, the doubt's there. If you are the Christ, that's another way the Jews would say the Messiah. The Christ means the glorified one. In other words, if you are the Christ, the Messiah, tell us plainly what a setting. Last week and this week on Sunday mornings in our Bible classes, we've been looking at the Good Shepherd and how He has authority. And tonight I want us to see especially the authority that the Good Shepherd has. Last week, probably in Sunday morning Bible class, you looked at a portion of John the 10th chapter. What I chose to do with the sermon this evening is to use the last portion of John the 10th chapter that in reality most of us if we know anything about John the 10th chapter it's usually the first half of the chapter it's so rich in practical application to who Jesus is but yet the second half of John the 10th chapter is still just as rich and I'd like for us to take time uh, to look at that this evening let's begin by seeing the setting of this occasion in 22 It probably happened a few months after the first part of John the 10th chapter where he would have introduced himself as the good shepherd, the door of the sheepfold, and etc. And he also would have introduced the Jews to themselves that they are like thieves and robbers that are trying to steal sheep away. And, um, And then he probably also introduced himself and them to themselves when he says, a good shepherd, I'd lay down my life for the sheep, but you're more like a hired hand that whenever anything threatens you would run away. And then a few months later, he has an opportunity to talk with them again because it's another festival or another holiday or holy day at the temple. And so let's read about this. We're in the 22nd uh, verse of John the 10th chapter. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem. And it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. In other words, don't talk to us anymore in parables. Don't talk where we have to read between the lines. If you're really the Messiah, you tell us right now plainly. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Let's think about the setting. The Feast of Dedication, what was that? When we read in the Old Testament, we don't read about a Feast of Dedication. We never read about Moses telling them to observe this this holy day. It definitely was not one of the three great holy days that all Jews would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. What is this? 
This is literally a day that the Jews establish as a day to celebrate between the two Testaments. You know, there's 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Antiochus, kind of tired tonight. Uh, Let's just leave it at his first name. Antiochus in 167 B.C. It may come to me in a minute. But uh, he desecrated the temple. He brought an altar into the temple. And he offered on that altar a sacrifice to Zeus. And obviously any Jew that was dedicated to God, that was heartbreaking. That just happened to be on December the 25th. 167 years before Jesus was born. Three years after that, on 164, the exact date of December the 25th, the temple was brought back into a state of holiness by Judas Maccabees. Another altar was erected, and on it was a sacrifice given to God. And from that day forward, every December 25th, there was the Feast of Dedication, or sometime by the Jews, called Hanukkah. And so they would gather every year after this, and they would uh, practice illuminations, they would put palm leaves out, there would be a lot of rejoicing, and there would be a lot of hymns sung that now their temple was holy again. And so now here we are, This would be Jesus' last time in Jerusalem before his re-entrance just a few months later at the Feast of Passover that his life would be given, not taken, during that time upon the cross. And so the setting there is important to realize that things are moving to a crescendo. You know, each time Jesus had the opportunity to loudly or clearly proclaim that I am the Messiah, if it was the wrong type of crowd, he would not clearly say that because it wasn't his time to be offered. And so now here are one of those occasions where Jesus could have easily died at this point because the anger and the jealousy and the envy against him among the Pharisees and other sects such as that were really accumulating to a boiling point that they wanted Jesus dead. And so we've got this setting. And and I don't know why John tells us so many details here because oftentimes we don't have these many details. But he tells us exactly. It's December the 25th. He's in Jerusalem. He's in the temple. And he's on the east side of the temple in an enclosed porch called Solomon's Porch. And he is in the middle and the Jews have surrounded him. It's not just a large gathering where they're mingling with each other. They are surrounding him. They've come because they want to know something from Jesus. What is it you want to know from me? And you can imagine them surrounding him. This is what, this is what we want to know. Remove our doubt. Tell us plainly. Are you the Christ? We don't know for sure the audience that was there. Well, we know some that were there would have been the Pharisees and types such as that. But there might have been others there. Because it was a feast where so many Jews would come in. There very easily could have been some that really believed Jesus was the Messiah. There could have been others that were really trying to figure it out. Not because they wanted to kill him if he said yes, but they did want to figure it out. But there was definitely that element of the Jews there that they they wanted to hear him say, I am the Christ. Because that would give them the right to arrest him.
that by their account would give them the right to execute him. And so the setting here, at least among some of the Jews, would have been very hostile. I'd like for you to notice by application in this lesson, all of us need to deal with the question and with what is our answer. Do we really believe Jesus is the Messiah? Maybe you look at that and say, why in the world would you preach that to a Sunday night crowd? Surely everybody here believes that Jesus is the Messiah. If you think that's a given, you're not thinking clearly. That's literally the struggle most of us have all throughout our life, and that is keeping Jesus in the place that he belongs in our life. Listen, whether I do or don't believe that he is the Messiah, he remains the Messiah. But the question is, what do I do with him in my life? Do I allow him, you remember our shepherding series? Do I allow him to remain the good shepherd in my life? Do I submit to him as the good shepherd every day? Does he look at me and say, that is a faithful sheep in my flock? If you don't believe it's a struggle, I'd like to remind you, if you want to turn back just a few pages in your Bible, hold your finger here and go back to Matthew, the 11th chapter. Do you remember when John the Baptist was arrested? And at the same time he is arrested, Jesus' public ministry is really gangbusters. There's multitudes following him. And and when he preaches, he preaches with such authority. People declare he must be of God. And when he does miracles, people would say, no man could do that unless he was sent by God. Here is a man who it appeared at that time was turning the world upside down. Now pause there for just a moment. If you were the cousin of Jesus and God gave you a ministry to be a forerunner to prepare people for the Messiah's coming... And then you got thrown into prison. What would you expect the Messiah to do? I can almost imagine that John probably, as they were closing the door behind him, thought, it'll only be a matter of time that Jesus will hear about me being here. He'll just speak from where he is. There'll be an earthquake like these people have never seen. And I'll walk right out of here. Because after all, he's the Messiah. You can imagine some days going by. His disciples come and visit him. Now, we don't know these details. I'm just, I'm just wondering, would it have been like this? And his disciples come to visit him and say, are you sure he knows I'm in here? Oh, yes, he knows. You mean he knows I'm in here and he's leaving me in here? Yes. Will you imagine the nights that he spent where it went from, why would he leave me in here? To then it went from that to... Maybe he's not who I think he is. What does Jesus have to live up to in your mind for you allow him to remain the Messiah of your life, the good shepherd of your life? How many times have we seen someone lose physical health and then the next step is they lose faith? How many times have we seen someone lose a job or lose a house and lose faith? How many times have we seen someone lose a spouse or lose a child or lose a best friend and then lose faith? Listen, I'm not saying this lightly tonight. I'm not saying this as if it's elementary, it's easy and all of us ought to get it just like this. 
I want to remind you who we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the cousin of Jesus that knew beyond any shadow of a doubt at one point in his life that God gave him a mission to be the prophet that would foretell and prepare the coming of the Messiah. He was the one that had Jesus in his hands baptizing him as he saw the Spirit come down in the form of a dove and he heard the voice of the Father say, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the one when John, the writer of this gospel, and Andrew standing there with him, he, John the Baptist, sees Jesus coming and he says to them, Behold, look at him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I dare say that there was a time in John's life where he was more certain that Jesus was the Messiah than anybody sitting in this room. But his faith starts to be shaken when he remains in prison. And he sends two disciples. And look what he says for them to ask in verse 3. Matthew 11. Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Isn't that amazing? All that John had seen and experienced, been a part of, and now his faith is so shaken that he sends messengers to ask Jesus, maybe you're not the one I thought you were. Is he coming? Listen, I believe many of us in this room, no matter what and how great our faith is tonight, there will be a period of darkness in our life because of things that we cannot control and maybe sometime because of things we could have where we will probably find ourselves like John saying, are you really, are you really there, God? Tonight, I want us to look through some of the things that Jesus said to these people. And it's interesting that the answer Jesus gave them and what he pointed them to, and even though it may not answer, it will not answer everything about the pain that might be involved in our life as we're questioning God. It is always the roots, if you will, back to a firm foundation of understanding who God is. I'll remind you again, God remains the good shepherd. He remains the Messiah, whether we believe it or not. So what we want to do is to make sure that we always have our roots attached to that so that when we start to lose our way, we can find our way back. So what is it that Jesus offers to them? And as you see here, it's a pretty long passage here, several verses at the end. We won't be able to develop it all, but, but notice some things here. Notice his answer, in, and we're back now to John 10 and 25. Notice his answer in John 10 and 25. Jesus answered and said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, now think about our shepherding series here. My sheep hear my voice. The idea that he's especially talking about here is they hear what I say and they believe it. They hear what I say and they do it. So he's saying, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
And I give them eternal life, just as we studied this morning. And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. A verse that's misused oftentimes to teach the eternal security of believers and, and once saved, always saved. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and, is, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. The very core of his explanation here is he said, you wanted it plainly, I gave it to you plainly. When did you say it plainly? We know we said it plainly to the Samaritans. Remember when he talked to the woman at the well? She brought up the idea of the Messiah and he literally said, I'm the one, I'm he. We know that it was said plainly to the apostles, although we don't see it recorded where it was said. We know it was said because when Jesus, Matthew 16, asked, who do men say that I am? They could say all the prophets they said it was, but then he says, who do you say that I am? And he declared, you are the Christ, Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. The fathers told you that. It was revealed to them. And it was revealed through, through like parables. And, and sometime talking around it somewhat to the Jews. But you know how it was directly told to them? Right here he brings it up. He says, it was my works that directly told you. In other words, you should know that no one could do what I have done unless they were the Messiah. But the point is, you don't want to believe it. Now the question is, what do we want to believe? Are we willing to listen to Jesus? We have a growing problem in the American culture of Christianity. Broad term there. In the American culture of Christianity, there is a significant number of people now that believe that the Bible is not final authority, not all of the Bible is the command or the will of God. And so because of that, it becomes a reference book that you refer to, and it becomes a process of selection. Which parts do you want to follow? Let me give you an example that could be multiplied over many, many different ways. I don't know how many of you heard about the dilemma that Lipscomb found themselves in just a few days ago. Soul Force is a homosexual activist group that had put together a tour bus of 17 young people, mostly in their 20s, that are crisscrossing across America. And they are targeting especially places and universities that do not welcome homosexuality on their campuses places where they have been already that would not welcome them on their campus, it becomes a, a process of arresting them and pulling them off campus, and that's really probably what they want because then they make it on all the nightly news and it makes the people that are standing in faith uh, look like hate groups. And so Lipscomb decided, after much thought, they decided to do something that, that seemed to be pretty wise. They told them, you can come on campus and we'll open dialogue. And so they spent the day in open dialogue. For breakfast, they invited about a dozen preachers in the area to come over and have breakfast with them, listen to their stories and talk with them about them and, when opportunity prevailed, about God's Word. 
one of the most articulate ones in the group said what was no surprise, but I just want you to know that it's not only on the topic of homosexuality, but it's on um, just a multitude of topics today. This is the way God's Word is viewed. Uh, this person professed themselves to be a faithful Christian, and, and this person even mentioned Romans 1. And when one of the preachers at their table, different tables having breakfast together, when one of the preachers at their table said, well, since you've mentioned Romans 1, how do you view Romans 1? And this person, not to be funny and not even to be hateful, just as matter-of-fact as could be, this person said, I think Romans 1 is just proof that Paul was a homophobic and he's just showing his homophobic ways in Romans 1. That's where the umbrella of Christianity is going. You take the good parts that you like, and you take the cultural parts where culture and the Word of God clashes, and you choose and pick what you want and whatever you don't want, you simply say, that's not God's will. Isn't it interesting, out of all the things Jesus could have said to say, to these Jews. You want me to prove to you that I'm the Messiah. Listen. He could have made the ten plagues look like nothing. He could have called down all kind of destruction, all kind of power. He could have performed miracles like no one has ever seen. Isn't it interesting what his answer was? His answer was... I have spoken, and you don't believe it. If you believe the Word of God, you will believe that I am He. Implied there, if you don't believe the Word of God, you won't. And that's the end of the game. God's Word. We must love it. We must learn it. And we must live it. And when times get hard and we begin to have moments of doubt, we must continue to learn it, we must continue to love it, and we must continue to live it, and our faith will eventually be renewed again. There's no magical miracle that God gave to them in that day or God is going to give to us in this day. The power is in who God is and what God has said believing that those are the words for life and the hope of eternal life. Now notice, in 30, his claim was, I and my Father are one. That burned the fire of their heart against him. So what they did in 31, then the Jews took up stones, notice the word again, took up stones again to stone him. You see, back in John 8, He had also had similar language and even talked about living before Abraham. And they were so mad they picked up stones then to kill him in anger. And he escaped probably miraculously from them. And so now he has another discussion about who he is. And they have stones in their hands again. And so then again there's a dialogue. Look in in 32. Jesus answered them, Many good works I've shown you for my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? You got the picture there? They're literally holding stones. They're ready to hurl the stones. He says, okay, I've done a lot of good implied here. I've not done anything bad. 
So you must be stoning me for a good work that I've done. Is there a particular one that you're stoning me for? And they give the answer, no, it's not a good work in 33. It's because you are are blasphemous. And he says, you being a man, uh, make yourself God. In 34, Jesus answered them. He goes back to their scripture, to the old covenant that they would have respected in Psalms 82 and 6. And he says, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Let's pause there for just a moment to see what he's talking about here. This is a passage where he's talking about in Psalms, the people that were prophets speaking the word of God, they were literally called gods with a lowercase g. Sometimes they were called sons with a lowercase s of the most high. It was the idea of God sanctifying them and giving them a high purpose and a high calling and high credit for the fact that they were literally recording and offering the message of God. In other words, this is another way that Jesus is promoting God's word. And he says, okay, did you think that they were blasphemous? Because they were called that because they upheld the word of God. Now, you remember who Jesus is, John 1? He is the word. And remember Hebrews 1 and 2? Hebrews 1, 1 and 2? The word what? The word that is the message from God. Jesus Christ was the messenger from God that came to this earth. Literally, the message of God took upon himself flesh and he dwelt among us. And that's what he's getting at. He says, you didn't have a problem when flesh was associated with the word of God in the old covenant. And he says, now I literally am God bringing a message of God. And and now this is what he's going to say about himself. So let's finish this as he now makes a transition to himself. Look in 36. Do you say of him, talking about himself, whom the Father sanctified, he set me apart, and the Father sent, he came to this earth, took upon flesh, into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, Believe the works that you may know. See, now we're back to knowledge. And believe, we're back to faith, that the Father is in me and I in him. Isn't it interesting that he chose the words sanctified and sent? You remember what day it is? It's December 25th. They're literally there to rejoice that the temple had once again been sanctified. It was the dedication of the temple, celebrating the dedication of the temple. And he says, let me tell you somebody else who's been sanctified. The Father sanctified me. The Father sent me to give you a message, to show you works that proves that my message is truly of God. And isn't it ironic, on this great day of sanctification, the day of dedication, God is standing among you the member of the Godhead who's been dedicated to reveal the Word of God and you don't believe Him. Now, did you notice that last verse I read in 36? I'm sorry, it's the last of of 38. The very end where he says in 38 that the Father is in me and I in Him. See, there he's claiming again to be God. So you know what the result's going to be. 39, they try to kill him again. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hands. If you can give me just a a minute and a half here on 40, 41, 42, we extend the invitation. 
And he went away again. See, it was probably a miraculous escape again. And then when he went away, he's talking about out of Jerusalem, not just out of the temple. He went beyond the Jordan River to a place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. In other words, remember when John first started his ministry, he's beyond the Jordan. And then uh, by John 3, he went to Anon where there was more water. But so he's there at that very first place where John was. And then many came to him and said, John performed no signs, but all things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. Isn't it interesting? He left Jerusalem where many wanted to kill him. And he goes out to where John did ministry years before. And when Jesus entered there, you see the soul had been worked with. Seeds had been planted and watered. And now Jesus comes into town and you can imagine people saying, you're the one. We've heard John talk about you. And many believed in him then. We never waste time and effort planting seeds, no matter what the immediate result may be. Don't ever think because someone was brought closer to God, but yet at a time it seems to be still that all is lost. It may be that somebody else comes around months or years later in their lives and they're able to pick up right where you left off. That's the beauty of what we see at the close of this. There will always be people that want to move closer to God. And there will always be people that will be saying, if he could just prove to me he was God, I'd believe in him. What you will not find is you will not find people that have strong faith, a clear, decisive conclusion about who Jesus is, who does not know the Word well. I'm saying that for you and I. If you want your faith to remain strong or to get strong, we've got to get in the Word. This is God's Word. It's not a resource book. It's not a book of suggestions. It's not some good men sat down and wrote things about God. This is God's Word. Tonight, I hope all of us are clear on who God is. Not just intellectually, but in faith. Our life proves it every day. If we can do anything to help you move closer to God, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ, or if you want to be restored, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.